Washington, we're asking the Lord how to best serve Him in this time of uncertainty. For the past 40 years, we've learned that prayers first and then education are really the best ways we can help. This month on Concern Women for America's podcast, we offer a window into some of the insight that we've gained from experts involved in this pandemic, as well as the prayers we're praying to overcome it. Up next. From the nation's capital, this is Use Your Voice with Penny Nance, President and CEO of Concerned Women for America. Here's your host, Penny Nance. Over the last few weeks, as the coronavirus pandemic has moved throughout the world, Concerned Women for America has consulted with numerous health and policy experts, as well as White House leaders for insight for our members into the impact here in the United States. One of these experts is a longtime friend to CWA. Dr. Paul Teller is Deputy Assistant to the President of the United States and Director of Strategic Initiatives for the Vice President. Listen as he describes his insight into the leadership and communications at the White House and hear his appeal for prayers from our listeners. Good news is we do have the President and Vice President at the helm. We know they're up to the job. We've seen uh, the steady hands and the decisiveness, and that's going to continue. One thing I should open with that the vice president wants us all as staff to keep promoting is the 30 days to slow the spread. That's that two-page handout that basically was the same as the 15 days to slow the spread. Uh, he just asked that we really uh, read it, uh, absorb it, live by it, share it with others. Uh, I know it's frustrating that we had this 30-day extension you know folks were hoping for less but uh you know after president vice president reviewed you know all the medical science that they have privy to and other data they just felt that this was the right thing to do uh you know the social distancing the uh the ongoing hand washing staying home if you're elderly or vulnerable staying away from folks who are elderly or vulnerable that kind of thing et cetera, et cetera. it's all in that that two-pager which i can get to if you haven't seen but um, please do your best to, to do that so we can get over this hump, so we can flatten the curve, to use that phrase that's been around, to just, you know, uh, get that number down of, of deaths. It was even encouraging to hear Governor Cuomo from New York say that the rate of increase of deaths is coming down. And while that's still horrible, every death is horrible, and the increase, it was still increasing, but the rate of increase was slowing down. Even that was a piece of good news, and I think that's attributable to folks adhering to these guidelines. So uh, it's a very collaborative White House, despite what the media tells you. We share lots of information amongst the different divisions, different departments within the White House, certainly across the administration, FEMA, FDA, CDC, et cetera, et cetera. Anyone who's got uh, a stake in this, we're constantly communicating, sharing. This is not about hoarding information at all. It's just the opposite. It's, hey, just making sure you saw this. There's a lot of those emails. Making sure this made it your way also because God forbid, right, you hold back information and it's a key piece of the puzzle that someone is looking for. You have it, but just didn't share it. I mean, what a nightmare that would be. So we're constantly uh, sharing information. Pray for us. Uh, obviously, sure, the president, the vice president, those of us in government circles trying to get political solutions to this, but much, much more importantly, pray for the vulnerable, pray for those on the front lines, right, our healthcare workers, the workers who are going to work either because they want to or feel pressured to because they have no choice, right? Folks who are living paycheck to paycheck and their businesses are open, even if they're scared, they're going to get the infection. 
but they feel like they have to go to earn a living or their boss told them they have to go and they may get fired and they can't afford to be fired, especially in this economy. Pray for those folks, you know, and also let's face it, pray for the folks who've, who've lost loved ones. Cause you know, it's very easy when you're watching the news and you see the number of deaths in this state and there's graphs and whatever. It's very easy to just kind of emotionally distance yourself from that. But each number is the loss of a human life and each life, you know, has, family around him or her, friends, colleagues, neighbors. So each number, you know, ripples, the pain ripples across uh, a community. So we want to keep that number as low as possible, and uh, your prayers would certainly help with all of that. We are so grateful to Dr. Teller for that insight and his leadership and friendship. You know, CWA is built upon prayer and action. CWA's Sarah Olson prayed an incredibly powerful prayer for Paul, our nation's leaders, and for our country. And I think you'll be blessed as I was to hear her heartfelt prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Paul. And I thank you for our president, for our vice president, for the coronavirus task force, for those that are on the battle lines and those that are on the supply lines. Thank you, Lord. Your word says that wisdom is the starting place of all good things. So we pray for wisdom and courage and strength and the health of those that are involved, especially those in the war room, coordinating on behalf of all of us. And as someone who's just a fan of Paul's beautiful family, there's a tangible, visible reminder to me to pray for all the families of those who, like him, are giving 150%, 24-7. I ask for support for them from their loved ones. And I ask for support for their loved ones from their families, neighbors, friends. I pray that you would give them patience as they wait for the time and attention of their only mom or their only dad, their husband or their wife. And I pray that you would give them all a shared endurance for this once-in-a-lifetime fight. Jesus, times of national crisis are always a call to national repentance how much more so for all the nations collectively. It's like you sent us all to our rooms for a big time out. But we know that there is no testimony without a test. So I ask that you would help us to pass this test and pass it with actions that shout your name louder than any words ever could do. Jesus, we do not cower in fear, for you have not given us a spirit of fearfulness but one of power and love and sound judgment. You told us, do not fear, for I am with you, and do not be dismayed, for I am your God. You said, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, we're to let our requests be made known to you. So, Lord, I lift up to you the genuine needs of our members and of this organization. You know each one. The fight for the soul of America, for her families, for marriages, for people, it's real. And it continues despite the pandemic. And so we soldier on together in faith, fear or faith, fear or faith. Lord, you know so well that every bad decision I've ever made in my life was made in fear. And every good one was made in faith. Oh, Father, we stand together choosing faith over fear, refusing to allow fear-mongering to rule our lives. We do not put our hope in stockpiling toilet paper. Toilet paper? What is that? 
No, we put our hope in you. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. This is not a time for us as believers to shrink back, but to shine the light of Christ. We know it's in the darkest night that our light shines the brightest. You've asked us to let our our light shine before men so that they can see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. Father, people are hungry for you. They're searching for you online, on the air, in their neighborhoods, in their families. Father, I ask that we reflect you now more clearly than we've ever done in our lives, ever. I thank you for the people in this organization who are saying yes to you, yes to serving those more vulnerable with genuine needs who are suffering loss. We uh, thank you for the members who are shining the light of Christ brilliantly right where they are, for the staff member who brought her extended family to the parking lot of her grandmother's assisted living to celebrate her 90th birthday with balloons and cake and song, happy birthday song, to celebrate the the life of this matriarch. Uh, We we thank you for members who have prayer walked their neighborhoods or the one who organized a, a a tribe in church service that was live streamed via car radio where the parishioners worshiped and prayed together from their cars, honking their their amens in agreement. Father, I thank you for the member and also for the staff member whose children have organized a love-delivered program in their neighborhoods to take produce, medication, and supplies to those who are shut in. I thank you for the staff member who's made use of Uber Eats to send meals to elderly people. Thank you for those who are doing kingdom living, taking your word to heart. They are encouraging one another and building each other up daily, just as, in fact, you've asked us to do. Indeed, they are. Thank you for a spirit of generosity that reflects authentic faith, the kind that takes stock of what we have and what we can give rather than focusing on what we want and what we need. Yay, God. (laughs) Yay, God. Now, as we leave to walk out the truth, help us not to be concerned with what we don't have, Father, but to be a blessing with what we do. And then help us to use that to live like there is a God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's time for a break. When we come back, we'll share additional insight from a leading authority on COVID-19. Hi, CWA listeners. You've heard all this talk about socialism in America today. Do you want to understand what socialism is and how it impacts society? Or how to respond to socialist promises like free stuff, healthcare, and college? For answers to these and many other questions, visit ConcernWomen.org, click on podcast, and for a donation of any amount, you'll receive a copy of The Truth About Socialism. Again, ConcernWomen.org, click on podcast. Hey ladies, you're smart, passionate, and savvy. You care about your family and you care about our nation. That's why you should join Concerned Women for America. I'm Penny Nance, President and CEO of Concerned Women for America, and I pray you will visit ConcernedWomen.org to learn how you can add your voice to the largest public policy women's organization in the nation. That's ConcernedWomen.org. Welcome back. CWA has been so fortunate to hear from other experts who are also some of the most authoritative voices on the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Dr. Peter Brooks leads the effort at Heritage Foundation for their Global Health Emergency Task Force and is one of the preeminent authorities on COVID-19. Listen to his insight into our country's situation with the pandemic. You could essentially be spreading the virus. You could be asymptomatic and spreading the virus for as many as 14 days. Um, That means people who don't think you're sick, uh, you could be sharing that virus virus with. Another problem is, is that it appears at this point, once again, we're very early into this, that the hospitalization rate is higher for coronavirus than the flu. Um, 2% of people who get the flu tend to end up in a hospital. With the coronavirus, we're talking about 19% right now. And those numbers, again, those numbers are going to fluctuate a little bit. Um, And the really concerning thing the last few days is that it's turning out that 40% of people ages 20 to 54 are requiring hospitalization. That was not expected. When you, in the flu season, most people that are, are most seriously affected tend to be the very young and the very old. Uh, and the people in the middle, the 20 to 54s, maybe it's stretched out in, a little bit in each direction, um, tend not to be as affected as seriously. In this case, they are unexpectedly being affected and requiring hospitalization. And that's just the, that's a U.S. number. Um, the death rate is also higher. Now, we don't know the exact numbers of coronavirus. That's why it's very important, this testing. We don't know how many people have. We don't know what that denominator is. Um, We know what the numerator is. We don't know what the denominator is of how many the total number of people that have this virus. But for the flu, the death rate is generally 0.1%. For coronavirus, it's running from 1% to 3.4%. So that's has has doctors, the medical community, very, very concerned. And today, Dr. Burks, in the press conference that I commended to you and uh, to check out every day, Dr. Burks said that, said that in Italy that the um, men are dying at twice the rate of women that get the uh, coronavirus. So the real concern here is, well, of course, there's lots of real concerns, but the concern is, is that if we have, as we're coming out of the flu season, when people are hospitalized for the flu, um, require ventilators, uh, ICU beds, that we could overlap this quickly with an epidemic of coronavirus, and that would overwhelm the healthcare system. Um, I don't know if you know it, but there are a limited number of ventilators uh, in the United States in American hospitals. I've seen numbers of 60 plus thousand, probably another 10,000 reserve. They're doing a lot of things to, to build more, to convert others. Uh, the military is providing some. But since this is a respiratory disease, ventilators uh, could be critical. And I won't get into the, the uh, unfortunate, tragic details of what's happening in Italy. I'm sure you've read about it. But uh, there, are, there is a shortage and um, it is causing problems for their health care system in providing care um, to people who contract this, this virus. The other concern is what they call PPE, personal protective equipment. That's, uh, you know, face shields and, and surgical masks. I'm sure you've heard about this, um, a lot about it. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, booties, gowns, uh, all, sorts of, all sorts of things that you're going to need a lot of. You can't take a chance of, one, infecting other personnel within a hospital 
that may have uh, underlying medical conditions that would, could make that much more difficult for them. Um, you don't want to have people with, become comorbid where they would have more than one, one disease, such as whatever else challenges they're dealing with, plus, um, plus coronavirus or COVID. The other concern is you got to have that personal protective equipment to protect the doctors and the staff. These are the frontliners. These are the people on the front line, like the military are in battle. Uh, we need them healthy. We need them to be able to man, the, man and women the hospitals um, and make sure, that, make sure that they can attend to the patients who are, who are sent to their, their hospitals. So that's also very critical. If we start uh, losing medical staff, uh, to the virus, they would have to, you know, hopefully recover, but they would be out of, probably out of service for 14 days. Um, that that could change the the, the curve of this uh, of this environment uh, and virus. And once again, you know, there, you've heard some people say, you know, why why all this these measures? And I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, that are being asked for us to ask to undertake social distancing and things like that. Is that we really don't want to become Italy. Uh, Italy um, did not take the appropriate precautions. Uh, the virus has really uh, ravaged the country. I'm sure you've read about it. Uh, we're talking about 4,100 cases, 3.4 thousand uh, or 3,400 deaths. Actually, Italy has um, more deaths than China now. Um, and so there's a real concern. And when you think about the different sizes in the population, uh, that's that's quite quite significant. So. The public health officials have asked us to do some things, uh, to social distance, um, to not gather in groups, to use good public uh, hygiene, washing hands, covering what they call respiratory etiquette, uh, a term meaning, you know, cover your sneezes and coughs. Uh, because this, this virus is believed to be transmitted two ways. One is by droplets uh, that would be aspirated by you in a cough or a sneeze or um, on hard surfaces, uh, a word I'd never really heard before called fomites, which is you know, some sort of hard surface where a virus can live. They're not quite exactly sure how long these viruses can live, but uh, in, in some laboratory experiments, it's several days. So people washing their hands, uh, people you know, taking, doing, washing things down, wiping things up uh, is, is critically important. Also, the government has called for travel bans um, also, also critically to prevent newly infected people from coming into the country. As I mentioned before, as you remember, talking about um, periods of infectiveness and, and being able to asymptomatically tra uh, transmit the disease, sometimes somebody could be shedding the disease, come to an airport checkpoint, and not have a fever or not show any symptoms of uh, coronavirus and would be allowed into the country. So. Um, they're stopping non-U.S. citizens from coming to the United States. We've closed the Mexico and Canadian borders to non-essential traffic uh, and travel, and um, that's the idea is to try to limit the uh, rate of infection, which you've heard of as uh, flattening the curve. And when they're talking about that is that these viruses tend to move in a certain direction, and they can, if there's community spread, uh, it can, um, the numbers can increase exponentially. And they're talking about trying, instead of seeing a, a spike or a peak in infected, number of infected people, who, and some of those who will require hospitalization, they can turn it more into like a hump and lower that. 
and to ease the stress and strain on the, on the hospital system. So everybody says, well, don't we have a vaccine for this? Well, we don't. Uh, that's, that's just the case. Uh, vaccines, there does not, there's no vaccine. This is a, they call this first, if you remember, the novel coronavirus. Novel means new. Uh, it's never been dealt with before. Uh, it, it, it's zoonotic, uh, which means that it came from, from animals and transferred either to another animal and then to people, but it basically transferred from animals to people. It's never been seen before in terms of uh, human transmission or in, or in human beings. So there's no vaccine for it. Um, vaccines uh, take time. Uh, there are trials. They've, they've started a trial, actually. Uh, interestingly enough, on people who do not have coronavirus, injecting them with some, some of the virus, very small part, to see if they developed antibodies to it. Because they still were still learning so much about uh, this, this virus yet. Um, but virus vaccines take, um, take 12 to 18 months, so they're starting some very small trials right now. Um, also antivirals, you know, which are also known as therapeutics, that can, you know, like Tamiflu for the flu. Um, there are trials underway. Um, there's a couple of things that are, that are potentially showing, showing promise. Uh, two of them are drugs that have been around for a while that are used for, have been used for malaria, interestingly, and uh, severe arthritis. Um, so they're looking at things, existing drugs, you know, things that might be used for uh, Ebola or HIV or other, other sort of uh, diseases that might have an effect on this, um, on this uh, coronavirus, this type of coronavirus. By the way, there's seven types of coronaviruses. Um, there's also plasma treatment, which is a possibility. In other words, if people, and I wouldn't say I'm an expert on this, once again, not being a medical doctor, but my understanding is that what you would do is have people who have recovered from coronavirus successfully and, and I guess, harvest the antibodies in their uh, system. Uh, and try to replicate those and perhaps use them to, um, to deal, with the, deal with the virus as well. A positive thing, but no guarantee, is that uh, warmer weather could have an effect on the potency of the virus. As you notice, you know, flu and uh, common cold rhinovirus doesn't disappear in the summertime. You can get a, you can get a flu in the summer. You can get a, get a cold in the summer. It's, uh, it's less likely. It's less common. And that's why we have this sort of winter season where we, we peak on the, on the flu season. Uh, it, some research, they're not exactly sure why. Some research seems to believe that perhaps the warmer weather uh, reduces the potency of the transmission of the virus. Uh, so there's a possibility that warmer weather could have an effect. There is no guarantee of that. And I'm sure Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks would chastise me for saying that. Um, I wouldn't say it's a false hope, but they, there's no data to support that right now. But it is a possibility because uh, viruses tend to weaken in the warmer months. Um, people and symptoms and seriousness. Um, 80%, these numbers go a little bit in each direction. They're, they're changing all the time based on new data coming in, but 80% of the people who get it get mild to moderate symptoms, which is a problem for containing it, of course, because people don't necessarily think they're sick. And I guess so many of us, you know, when we're a little sick and we feel like we need to go to work or we need to go do something, uh, we do it. Um, so a lot of, um, 
and may have it and may not may not know it. Um, fifteen percent will get more. Um, fifteen percent will get more uh, serious uh, symptoms, and five percent will get uh, will get um, severe. I want to thank all the experts and leaders we've heard from today. Dr. Paul Teller from the White House, CWA's Chief Advancement Officer, Sarah Olson, and Dr. Peter Brooks from the Heritage Foundation. We are indeed in a time of uncertainty, but we know from God's Word that He is with us always. I invite you to check out CWA's COVID-19 Resource Center. We pray that these resources will be helpful to you. Check back daily as our staff are busy at work to continue to fight for our values even as we fight this pandemic. Until next month, I'm Penny Young Nance, CEO and President of Concerned Women for America, and thank you for joining me. Thanks for listening. Use Your Voice is a ministry of Concerned Women for America, the largest public policy women's organization in the nation. For more information, visit ConcernedWomen.org. That's ConcernedWomen.org.